of this series in the book of Hebrews, uh, Lord willing, uh, next Sunday will be the last in uh, the book of Hebrews. Uh, This morning we'll read verses 1 through 16. Um, That may be sort of borderline, but if you're able, uh, would you stand as we give our attention to the reading of God's Word? Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 16. Uh, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who were in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is is the same Yesterday and today and forever, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Would you pray with me? Uh, We pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would teach us. Would you open our minds, our ears to hear, our minds to understand, our hearts to embrace, our lives to conform uh, by your word and by your work in us. Uh, that you would conform us into the image of Christ. For it's in his name that we ask it, and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Um, You know, it's easy when you come to the ends of these New Testament letters to um, get the feeling that um, the writer is running out of ink, uh, that he's running out of paper. Uh, that he's kind of at the end of the letter, he's end of the note card, whatever it is, and he's starting to turn it and write up the side and squeeze in the last few words as you do, well, as you did when you used to write letters before you sent texts and wrote emails. You know, you sort of, you know, I've only got a few things left to say. I really don't need to bother with a whole nother, a whole nother, a whole nother piece of paper 
So I might as well just kind of squeeze right small. It feels like that when you get to the end of these letters. And, and it feels like he's, um, that the writers are kind of, like it's random. Like you kind of get to some of these lines and you're going, I mean, how does somebody get from you know, this thing in one sentence to this thing in the next sentence and, and where on earth, I mean, like the thoughts in his head have to just be sort of, you know, firing back and forth all kind of different directions at the end of the letter. But the reality is there actually is a, there's, there's structure to this. There's connection to this. There's, there's, um, there's a, some amount of organization to the things that he writes, even here at the end of the letter. Of course, he's, he's writing, having already spent chapter after chapter after chapter, page after page after page, describing how Jesus is the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. How Jesus is the better Fill in old covenant thing here, right? Priest, tabernacle, sacrifice, word, prophet. I didn't go in the order. Um, and so he's, he's reminding these Jewish believers that, that what they were raised looking for is here. Has already come. In fact, he's already come, lived, died been raised again, ascended to heaven, and, and you, you know exactly who he is. And so this chapter then, at the end of, and this is so standard New Testament writing, having written about how Jesus is the better fill-in Old Covenant item here, um, now he turns to, what is the implication this has for the church? And so what we find in Hebrews 13 first is that the church is called to be a caring community. Uh, It's really the effect of the gospel in our lives. The gospel produces fruit. Now, never does the Bible ever invert the gospel. The letters never start with, do this, then Jesus will love you. That's never the pattern. And that's not the pattern here in Hebrews. And yet... The reality is having embraced the gospel, having trusted in Christ for our salvation, have been justified and adopted and declared righteous in the sight of God, adopted into the family of God, the household of God. There are household expectations. There are effects of that adoption. There are effects and consequences of that salvation. And they manifest themselves here. First, as a caring community. Notice in verse 1 that it begins in the local church fellowship. You, You know Greek. I, I, I throw, I occasionally throw around Greek words just for fun. And, and really what that means is, um, not that I remember them from Greek class. That was a long, long time ago. Um, but it's just sometimes, sometimes it's fun. Sometimes some of you will have just enough sort of background or inclination or study or bent that it's kind of interesting. But here's the thing. Everybody in this room knows Greek. Okay, you may not know Greek, but you know a Greek word. Because the word used here is Philadelphia. 
hey, that's a city. I know that word. But it's literally, they took the word for brother, Adelphos, and the word for brotherly love, phileo, and put it together into one word. So that Philadelphia is literally, it's brotherly love of brothers. Kind of redundant, honestly. Because you know that Greek, perhaps you're aware that Greek has like three, four, five, multiple words for love. And they all have a different nuance, a different indication. They all, you use them in different contexts. The word here isn't agape. It isn't that sort of universal love people regardless, overlook transgression, overlook fault, love people through difficulty. It, this isn't that word. Does that mean we're not called to that in the church fellowship? No, I don't think that's the point. I think the context here is that as a family, we should live and love and act like a family. We're called to brotherly love because that's what we owe to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Having been adopted by God... With Christ as our older brother, we are now brothers and sisters. And so the writer of Hebrews says, look, in light of the gospel, in light of Christ as the fulfillment of all of that, love each other the way brothers and sisters should love each other. Care for each other the way a family is supposed to care for each other. And so maybe the reality is we should sort of put a little subtitle. Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church, a.k.a. Philadelphia. A.k.a. the place of, or at least a place of brotherly love. And so the writer begins, let brotherly love continue. He urges that we in the local church fellowship would act like brothers. But then he turns our, our caring eye to a new group of people. Because in verse 2, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Now you, you, you know the story, you know kind of the background, you're, you're um, aware of the parable of the Good Samaritan that, that travel was dangerous. Um, and that hospitality was generally for opening your, your, your doors, opening your home to brothers and sisters, fellow believers who were traveling because there wasn't a super eight and there wasn't, you know, there was no Tombow debt leaving the light on for you. And it was, it was safer if they could come into your home. It was safer if they could stay with you. And so he turns our attention from the church fellowship from inside the walls to those outside the walls. That we would actually show hospitality, that we would actually open our, our, our doors. How come nobody said anything about this thing falling off? Um, what do I keep doing? What am I doing? Um, but, but that we would show hospitality to people outside the church fellowship. Now, it's not limited just to strangers. It's not limited just to traveler strangers. It certainly includes that. But there's a picture here that Christians should be people who open their homes, who invite people into their lives, who 
share, you know, I'm so over the do as a helping verb, right? I'm just, I'm just not into doing life. Just live life. I mean, like we don't need to do life. Life isn't something you do. The worst was when Chick-fil-A had, we do catering. We cater would have been perfectly acceptable. I'm over the do. <laughs> but there's a picture here that, that Christians actually welcome one another into each other's lives. And, and the reality is Jesus reminds us. Even Jesus says, look, it's one thing for you to, to care about people who are just like you. The pagans do that. The Gentiles do that. The tax collectors do that. The, the unlovely, everybody does that. That's not special. It's when you begin to love people who aren't like you that we begin to manifest the love of Christ in our lives. He points to this, he points to a story. Um, I don't believe that verse 2 means that you might entertain angels. Now, I'm not saying it. You can't. I'm, I'm not going to go that far. That's not his point. He's looking back to Abraham and Genesis 18. When, um, actually, when, when God, presumably a pre-incarnate Christ, and two angels are traveling en route to Sodom and Gomorrah. <coughs> en route to Lot. Abraham sees them traveling, says, hey, y'all come rest, wash, let me feed you. Runs into his house, Sarah, quick, bake bread. I'm telling you, most of us would get smacked in the head if you walked in and said what Abraham said. I mean, literally, it's, it's that kind of staccato. Abraham, I mean, Sarah, quick, bake bread. And, and he actually gives measurements. And it's like, 30 loaves. I forget the number, but it's a ridiculous amount of bread. And he leaves and goes and kills a calf, has it cooked, and fixes a meal for them. Of course, that's the point at which they learn uh, a year from now, I'll be back. And she's going to be pregnant with Isaac. It's a picture then that because Abraham was hospitable, it turns out he entertained angels, and he didn't know it until after the fact. And so there's this, this instruction then that we open our homes to each other, and not just within the walls, but he specifically mentions strangers, those who are, those who are outside of these walls. See, the reality is hospitality has has long been a significant instrument in growing God's kingdom. Sharing life, opening your home, has long been an instrument that God uses to bring outsiders inside. To make strangers family. To bring the lost into the covenant community. You see the circle growing? Let brotherly love continue. That's among you. That's within the church fellowship. It looks outside the church fellowship to, to care for strangers. And then the writer has the gall to call us 
to the greatest inconvenience of the bunch. But to love, to care for prisoners and those who are mistreated. Now, okay, it's fair. Prison then was not what prison is now. It was much easier for them to have visitors and and people to come and see them and bring them meals. And it it was much more common, much easier to do then than it is now. But that doesn't make the instruction disappear. So look, there, there are people who... It's one thing to love the people who you're around all the time because you have to be. It's one thing to love people who come into your circles. But remember that there are people out there that have no circle. How are you caring for them? How are you loving them? And do you, do you kind of get the sense of the growing inconvenience for us? I mean, I'll admit, it's a whole lot easier to love you here on Sunday than to actually, you know, get up and take a shower and get dressed or whatever and gather my stuff and go down to the prison to go visit somebody in prison. That's a That's much more inconvenient. That's much more difficult. That's much more, if we're honest, annoying and frustrating. i got a thousand other things I've got to do, need to do, rather do than that. So with each of those three sort of circles, those three levels of the church as a caring community, it becomes more and more inconvenient. But I hope that reminds you of the gospel. Right? Because it wasn't exactly convenient for Jesus to leave the throne room of heaven to become man, to dwell in the body, to suffer and bleed and die for yours. That's not convenient. That's certainly going out of his way. Only because of his love for us. We are the prisoner. We are the unlovely. We are the mistreated. We are the outsider for whom Christ, because of his love and care for us, has come to redeem. The church is called to be a caring community. The church is also called to be, and this is where I had to cheat Because it's not a hard sea and it drives me nuts. The church is also called to be a chaste community. Notice verse 4. Now there's a word that you don't hear every day. There's a word that's fallen on hard times in 20th, 21st century Western world. Nobody talks about chastity anymore. That's so old, you know, Puritan and, and looked down on. But the reality is it simply means it's a reference really to physical sexual holiness. And that's what the writer calls us to in verse 4. Marriage, sexual immorality, adultery, all lumped together in that one verse. Let marriage be held in honor, the marriage bed undefiled. God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Now, let me me just point out, um, I, I assume you're used to this. Sometimes I do the Captain Obvious thing on purpose because sometimes things are so obvious and so, 
so clearly there, or in this case, not there, that, that we don't notice it. Or we don't at least sort of call attention to it. Notice that it doesn't say, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, let everyone be married. That, that's not the command here. It doesn't say, let those who are married, that let them honor marriage, and the people who aren't married, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't say that either. It also doesn't say, let the people who are married only honor their marriage. What it says is, let marriage be held in honor among everyone. In other words, there's this state, this institution, this, this thing we call marriage that is supposed to be honored by all of us, whether young or old, single or married or whatever. See, at the heart of sexual immorality, at the heart of adultery, at the heart of a defiled marriage, is disdain for marriage in general. And it's selfish. It says, I want to care about what I want right now and really not care about what God wants for me. It says, I want what I want, not what God wants. It says, I want what I want now, not what God wants for me later. It's, it's trading, well, it's did God really say. It's taking his word and saying, well, he doesn't mean that. He couldn't possibly mean that. He means that for somebody else. He means that in a different context. He means that in a different way. Or that was so then. This is now, and so it can't mean today what it meant then. But the writer calls all of us to sexual purity, to physical sexual chastity, to honor marriage as an institution among us. The reality is that honoring marriage, whether yours or someone else's, is loving other people. It's a way we manifest our love for each other. I'm going to so care about you. Well, but we're not married. We're too young. It doesn't matter. No, it does. Or, or we're both married, but kind of, you know, wanting, wanting to sneak off. And, and who knows? Well, I'm going to love you and your spouse. I'm going to love other people enough to honor your marriage, whether we're married or not. It's just another way that you and I are called to care more about other people than ourselves. The church is called to be a caring community, a chaste community. The church is also called to be a content community in verses 5 and 6. Notice there's the instruction there. Uh, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Paul writes the same sort of thing um, the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. There's an instruction here to be content. You ever thought about what contentment is? You ever thought about what it means to be content? At the very least, it's a recognition of God's sovereignty and God's care for you, regardless of what you have. 
Now, he's writing to people. If you just look back at the end of chapter 10, he's writing to people who have had their stuff plundered. He's writing to people who have been mistreated on account of Christ, have even had their stuff stolen from them, taken from them. And yet they embraced that. They accepted that with joy. Well, it's a a reflection of God's sovereignty. If God cares for me, this is how tithing works. This is how giving to the church works, right? The tithe at 10% says, look, I'm going to actually trust the 90% to be enough. That I'm going to trust God to care for me, to trust that God loves me enough that, that if I give away stuff that I have, that, that what remains is sufficient for him to care for me, to provide for me. And so the reality is contentment is merely a reflection of confidence in God's love and care for you. But notice the reason for our contentment. Because he gives us a reason in verse 5. Why be content with what you have? Because you, whatever you lose, whatever stuff gets robbed from you, whatever of your stuff rusts or breaks or falls apart, you cannot lose Jesus. The, the promise there is... You can be content with what you have. Why? Because you have Christ. Anything else is nothing. Anything else is immaterial. Anything else doesn't add to that. Because of Jesus' promise that I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, I will never turn my back on you. If you're trusting in Christ, then you are assured that He will not leave you. The implication is the stuff that I have can't buy God's favor. How much God's Christ's commitment to me is not dependent on how many zeros are in my bank account. Christ's commitment to me has is not at all influenced by the 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 value of my retirement account. He's saying your stuff cannot and will not redeem you. That Christ has done that. And because he loves you enough to redeem you, your stuff can't make him love you more. And for that matter, your stuff won't help you in the life to come. Do you see what the writer's doing? Do you sort of hear the thread of the second table of the law? There's a thread here in this chapter that says... You know, Jesus, I mean, just quoting the Old Testament. Hey, Jesus, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbors yourself. He's, he's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting the Bible. He didn't make that up on the fly. That's not his answer. Well, it is his answer, but it's, it's also the Bible's answer. It's his Bible's answer. He's merely writing, saying what he wrote a couple thousand years sooner. Well, the reality is these are all evidences of love for others. This is the second table of the law. This is is love each other, love other people as yourself, applied to particular sort of specific context, marriage, 
The seventh commandment? Contentment? The tenth commandment? And so the writer simply says, look, this is, this is how the gospel plays out in your horizontal relationships. The church is called to be a caring community, a chaste community, a content community, a committed community. Notice verses 7 to 9. He says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. He's talking about leaders from their past, not their current leaders. He's talking about people in the past because it's, it's remember and it's those who spoke to you the word of God. These are, these are people who have already won the, run the way, run the race. It's easy for you to say. And have gone on to be with the Lord. People who were leaders, rulers in, um, in the local church fellowship among the people. We all have we all have people in our past. We all have pastors, leaders in our past that we, years, decades later, kind of wish we still had. We, we all have those, those leaders who spoke to us, who cared for our souls in ways that we kind of wish they were still around. That's the people he has in mind here. Remember those leaders who have already gone on to be with the Lord. They spoke to you the word of God. They cared for you. But notice, what is it about them we're supposed to be committed to? It's remember your leaders. It's not be committed to your leaders. That's not the same thing. Remember your leaders. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. What is it we're supposed to be committed to? Not them, but to the same thing they were committed to. The same faith that they were committed to. Now, here's the thing. That word could mean, faith could mean the things you believe, like in Jude 3. It could mean um, the, the manifestation, the evidence of their faith, like in Hebrews 11. I, I, I think it's a, False debate. Are we to be committed to the things they believed? Absolutely. Are we to be committed in such a way that we, that we press on to the end? Absolutely. Should we imitate the content of what they believed? Yes. Should we imitate their commitment to what they believed, even in distressing times? Yes. In other words, these are saints who, more recently, that you knew personally. It's one thing to read Hebrews 11 and say, well, Abraham and Moses and Noah, they all did this. But what about that guy who was your leader three years ago? And who's gone on to be with the Lord. Imitate his faith. Follow that example. Why? Because he pressed on even to the end. The, the commitment isn't to them, but to the faith to which they also were committed. They serve as recent models. Now remember, these are people who are in danger of punting the faith. These are people who are in danger of throwing in the towel. The, the persecution, the difficulty, the conflict, the trials of life are getting too great. And they're on the verge of saying, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. And so he says, wait, remember those leaders. They pressed on 
to the end. Be encouraged by them. Imitate their faith. Why? Why? Why is it that the church is called to be a caring, chaste, content, committed community? Why is it that the church, or better yet, how are we going to do that? Because, again, nowhere does this passage say, do these things so that God... This is the last chapter in Hebrews, not the first one. That matters. Well, the reality is the church is a covered community. Did you notice verses 11 to 16? The writer points our attention to Christ. To Christ as the sacrifice for our sin. To Christ as our Redeemer. The one who shed His blood. Who is the perfect sacrifice. It's sort of a reminder all over again that Christ is the better sacrifice. And it's His blood that covers our sin. It's His blood that redeems us. He was offered on the cross outside the camp. Just as the old covenant sacrifice was consumed Outside the camp. And Jesus was consumed so that we wouldn't have to be. He paid the price that our sin demands. He paid the debt that we owe. He suffered and bled and died so that we might have life. And the reality is he's built a city. Verse 14. A permanent city. A lasting city. Not not the ones like we have here. Because here we have no lasting city. We're waiting for a city that is yet to come. That great picture in Revelation of Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem. Coming down out of heaven. In the new creation. Why sexual purity? Why contentment in this life? Why love others? Why press on? Because this is not our home. We belong to a different zip code. We belong to a different area code. We belong to a different city. The reality is, we're just passing through. This is a, a temporary home. This is our, our, it's where we live. It's where we, where we seek to serve and honor and glorify Christ. We're expanding and growing the kingdom of God on the earth but not with an eye to this stuff being our best stuff. Part of the picture here is you can't live your best life now. Because there's still a better city, a better life yet to come. That's the one we're waiting on. Why sexual purity? Because... The reality is the world to come is my real home. Why contentment here with what I have? Well, because none of this compares with what I have there and am going to receive when Christ returns. Why love others here on earth? Because I want them there. Or because they're going to be there. Why press on? Because that city is coming. Because that city is guaranteed. Because that city is real, as we kind of did the, the, the real and not real uh, a week or two ago. And so the reminder in chapter 13 is that Christ has done the work for you. 
Nowhere are we told to earn our salvation. Instead, we're told to live out of our salvation. To offer sacrifices to Christ. Not, not, not lambs, not goats, not bulls. But our sacrifice of praise. The honor and glory rightly belongs to Him. Doing good to each other. Sharing what we have with one another. Because those sacrifices bring are pleasing to God. Why are we called to be a, a loving, caring community, both for those inside and outside? Well, because Christ cared for us. We're merely reflecting his care and love to prisoners, to the unworthy, simply because he loved us. We can press on because our home is onward and upward. Because it's not here. We can press on because Christ has redeemed us. We can press on not because we have to secure our place in that city, but because Christ already has. May God grant us the grace to care, to love each other, and reflect His love for us, both to our brothers and sisters and to the watching world, to the honor and glory of Christ. Would you pray with me? Our great God and our King, we thank you that you have called us to yourself through no work of our own, but through the obedience of uh, your Son, Jesus Christ, in our place. And Father, we pray that you would Grant us your spirit, not just to hear and, and embrace your word, but would you cause us to be a loving, caring community that we would honor what you call us to honor, uh, that we would forsake the things you tell us to forsake, that we would live for the city that you are going to bring. We pray that you would would constantly, faithfully Remind us that our dwelling is there. And may it, may it be our great joy and delight to, to offer to you the sacrifice that you call for. Love for you, love for others. Even parting with our stuff for the good of others around us. And praise to Christ. And would you grow your kingdom in us and through us? For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.